This can be a scary place. Dark shadows creeping in the moonlight. Unfamiliar sounds surrounding you. Stalking you. Is it a ghost? A werewolf? Or something more? Human. What would you do if you found yourself lost? In the strange woods? Join us as we discuss the paranormal, true crime, and anything in between with your hosts, Jeremy. Let's tell me about the ghosts. Jonathan. Aruga. And Peter. Aruga. Welcome to the Strange Woods Podcast. Did we decide on what we're naming our fan base? I think strangers. Hello, strangers. Yeah, strangers seem to be overwhelmingly the most popular. I mean, it's it's a, it's factual. They're all yeah, they're yeah. all strangers to me. It is, except for the your mom. Yeah, I've met her. <laughs> yep. We don't ever talk about if there was any updates from anything else or just news or. So I don't know if y'all saw um, for uh, Abby and Libby, the guy that they arrested, Richard Allen. He straight up confessed like five or six times in jail that he oh, killed really? those girls. Oh yes, he's confessed over the phone. He? To, he's the the one the one that was that looked just like the guy, the one that had the same clothes, the one that admitted to being there, the one that had the bullet case, the uh, the oh, bullet that yeah, matched the, the gun, the dude. Yeah, the, he the worked guy. at CVS and supposedly gave the uh, the pictures for the funeral uh, to them for free. Wow, that that dude's got yeah issues. He yeah, and he looks like shit. Like he has lost like he's got to be at least a hundred pounds, and he looks terrible. So I hope they're giving he's him a real hard time in jail. He's definitely getting stabbed in the butt. I hope so. I think he's in protective custody, so he's alone in like a real small cell. Maybe the guards are stabbing him in the butt. Yeah, really. <clears throat> Somebody's stabbing him in the butt. He probably won't last since he did stuff to kids. No. Speaking of butts, I know how I can prove Brandy's mom is not a stranger because I've pooped in her house before. That is, <laughs> yeah, you're not strangers anymore after that. You're not sure. strangers. That's For all sure. it takes is one poop. One poop yeah. in somebody's house. I mean, how many, so I'm not a strange many, stranger at a lot of different states. Or hotels. Have you pooped in other people's hotels. houses though? No, like, like I'm talking like a, a, a residence. I have defecated I've, in your uh, home, ma'am. We are not strangers. We are no longer strangers. I've pooped in your house. <laughs> Welcome to episode 22 of the Strange Woods podcast. We're going to be talking about St. Augustine Lighthouse in, where is it at again? St. Augustine, Florida? Well, yeah, that's it. <laughs> really? It's in is it name. really in Florida? Wait, they have lighthouses yeah, in, in Florida? I honestly yeah, thought yeah. it was too swampy for lighthouses. Oh, no. This is on the uh, the Atlantic side. Joining us on this episode is my wife, Brandy. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me back. Hey, hey. No, but so this is a place y'all went on a vacation to, or how did that play out? So, um, yeah, we did. We went on a family vacation to St. Augustine, Florida, um, with my side of the family, my brother, my sister, their kids, had a great time. And while we were out there, we went to the St. Augustine Lighthouse, which is a very famous lighthouse in that area. And it is famous for its hauntings. Allegedly. Allegedly. Uh, allegedly. Hey, did you bring the kids to the haunted place or you left them at home? No, we did not. Not that we wouldn't have. No, we actually got there a day early. Yeah. So me and Brandy went by ourselves. Because there's a daytime tour and then there's the dark of the moon tour is what it's called. They probably would have loved to go see it, but we figured with us recording and doing all the things, it would probably just be better to not have because they're 10 and under and there's five of them. Yeah. So maybe not, you know. Yeah. So today, Petey and I are going to talk with you guys about a little bit of the history of the lighthouse because it's a really cool place. But more importantly, the haunting stories that are so famous that go with this place. Mm. And then on our next full episode, so this is going to be the history and the mystery of the lighthouse. And then we actually did a paranormal investigation 
for the second half of our time with the dark side of the moon. We had equipment, we had um, cameras, and we caught some really, really cool things. Oh, and we had a guest on that, um, your sister. Yes, my younger sister, Heidi, came along as an adopted member of the crew. She came to kind of just help us out and um, be kind of part of it and ended up being like our good luck charm. Um, I guess if, you know, I, I, I consider it lucky. <laughs> Which is hilarious because she was jumping when we just beeped the horn of the car on our way in. Oh my God. The absolute best person to go on anything scary with because my sister is so scarable. Like everything scares her. So it was perfect because whatever it is we made contact with really liked my sister. So that's going to be the investigation episode. So we're going to tell you all about the lighthouse now, tell you about the stories. That way, all of the investigation makes sense. Yep. Okay. Um, Out of curiosity, what was the phase of the moon whenever y'all visited? It was not a full moon. It wasn't. It was pretty big, but it was not a full moon. You should plan your vacation better next time. I'm, (laughs) I'm sure I know. Fail. No, the full moon was earlier in the month. And then the next full moon after that was June 3rd. You looked it up? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I follow I follow that um, so that I can put it on our socials. Oh, okay. Yeah. Nice. Got to look out for the werewolves. Yeah, I, w- I wouldn't want to play with both ghosts and werewolves at the same time. Hello. Yeah, you, you got you to pick your battles. Yeah. You can't do both the same exactly. night. Exactly. Strategery. No, that's just insane. You know, like, what if you hear like a, a ooh, you know, like, was that a ghost or a freaking werewolf? You don't yeah. know if it's a full moon. Can't tell. Yes. <laughs> or, or Herbie the bug what, didn't his horn go Auga? <laughs> <laughs> do that Auga was Herbie haunted again. I mean was that a thing <laughs> <laughs> as we said it's in St. Augustine Florida it's 165 feet tall which is 95 feet taller than the tower it replaced we'll talk about that later It towers over Matanzas Bay and the Atlantic Ocean on Anastasia Island. And it's it's really tall. I actually climbed it this time. And yes, it's it's pretty high. It's a black and white spiral pattern on the outside. And the top of it where the lantern is, um, is red, bright red. And they actually do that as they do unique paint jobs like that so that you can distinguish one lighthouse from another one. Oh, really? Yeah. So they're all different. I kind of always assumed they were all the same, but I guess they they all have slight differences. And actually, I didn't write this down, so I can't tell you the exact like patterns and stuff, but apparently the flash of the light is different for every lighthouse too. Really? I didn't know. I didn't know that either. Yeah, there's a timing component with it. And so the combination of the paint job, the colors, and the, the light timing is, a, is a, like a secondary or tertiary way of identifying if you don't have computer equipment running or sonar equipment running, you can still identify, okay, based on the description of this lighthouse in this time, I am at this location. Oh, that's very cool. And this place is actually still used as a secondary navigational aid for ships to this day. Um yeah, it's it's they're still very relevant. Yeah, they're still very relevant. Everything obviously on ships is automated. There's satellite, there's sonar, but in the event that those things fail, you go back to basics and they still use this lighthouse for navigation to keep ships away from the shore in the event that your equipment would fail. So that's pretty cool. Which I mean makes sense cuz that I think that goes back to that Pacific Northwest uh, episode that we did, that was what kind of was their ultimate demise was they didn't see the lighthouse they were looking mm-hmm. for. Yeah. Lighthouses are still relevant. And this particular one has something called, is it, is it I'm going to say it wrong. Fresnel. Fresnel lens. Uh, but I, I think that's what they all have. Well, this one was one of the first to have it. And it's a specialized oh. lens. Yeah. Um, the um, the design of it and the way that it functions um, was very, very new for its time when it was put in. And it allows the light to be seen up to 24 nautical miles away, which is pretty significant, you know, so. Yeah, I wouldn't have thought you could see it that far. That's pretty nuts. It's pretty far. It's pretty far. So as far as the lighthouse itself, 
Um, it is not the original. The original lighthouse was not that far away. Same coastal area. It's not even a mile away. The original site was called the Old Spanish Watchtower, and they started, they built that in 1737. So this site, this area has been around since the early 1700s. Um, it was a very good strategic area to like fortify on the coast of this Anastasia Island. So that's why the construction initially started as a watchtower. It was converted by the U.S. government into a lighthouse um, and it was built out of limestone, which as you can imagine with coastal wind, rain is going to erode very, very quickly. So that eventually is what leads to the, the building of the current site. Um, but our stories start in the old lighthouse, the original lighthouse, which is just right there. So the current lighthouse, the one that is black and white, red at the top, that you can go and climb and tour, that was built in 1871. And it is currently listed on the National Registry of Historic Places. It's attached to a maritime museum that has all kinds of cool stuff. Kind of the layout is you walk into like the gift shop and all, and then you go through, you walk up to this huge lighthouse and it has a spiral staircase all the way up, total of 219 steps up from the base to the lookout. And you can see a full panoramic view of St. Augustine, Anastasia Island, and out into the ocean. It's amazing. Yeah, it's it's a really good view. Like it's it's a lot of steps to get up there, but honestly, it's it's it really is worth it. Um, and it's not that hard, you know. Like every so many stairs, they have a uh, like a flat area that you can kind of sit and rest. And there's benches on a few of them, so like even older people that have like bad knees can go up just a little bit at a time. So I find towers like that to be like deceptive in their size. Like how. Like what kind of diameter are you looking at? Like, cause I know there's a spiral staircase in the middle. How cramped did it feel or was it? Oh, not at all. I mean, it, it, this is me guessing, but I would say probably a good, I don't know, 20 foot diameter, maybe. Oh, okay. Probably bigger than that. Honestly. Diameter of. You know, look that up for a quick Google, a quick Google search will reveal. A quick Google. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's fairly open on the inside. Oh yeah. It's, it's pretty big. Like. For a bigger guy like me, it was a little cramped to go past people on the stairs. Yeah. But I mean, I was able to do it. It's just not ideal. Gotcha. But th there's there's big flat areas. I mean, those those sections are like pretty big. You could probably stand about 12 people on the platforms. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty big. Very, very cool. And um, there is tiling on the the floor, like the, like before you start to climb the spiral staircase that is diamond shaped and reflective. So at night, if you try to bring a light in there, it literally does like this mirrored, like a cascade of lights, like a cascade of lights. Like it's, it's really, if y'all are ever out there, if anyone's out there and want to go see something very interesting and fun and do like a cool history, mystery, ghost hunt kind of thing. Totally worth it. Please stop. Yeah, it's even, Augustine Lighthouse. Even if you're not going for the ghost, like it's just a really cool oh, thing to man. see. Yeah, they oh. have um, recovery of um, artifacts and things like that in one of their exhibits. They have lots of stuff from the time period because this was a lot of what took place with this is around the Civil War and World War One, World War Two. It, there was a lot of uh, use of this place during wartime. So if you're yeah. a war buff, if you like that kind of thing, there's there's stuff there for you too. So it's very cool. Uh, I'm sorry. Is the tile floor at the bottom black and white checkered? Yeah. Yeah. I So I was actually talking to Brittany about this the other night. I hate black and white checkered floors. They make me uncomfortable. Really? And I think it's related. I, and I think it's related to the movie Drop Dead Fred. I think... <laughs> there's like a, a scene at the end where things were starting to get weird in that movie. And I think, man, I think there's black and white checkered floor. I'm not sure. But yeah, ever since I was a kid, I hate black and white checkered floors. Oh, it gives so, you a bad feeling. I get bad freaking vibes from black and white checkered no floors. Way. You'd hate the subways in New York. <laughs> yeah. well, I, Literally everywhere. I, I would hate New York for more reasons than that. <laughs> Well, yeah, probably, but I'm saying like there's a lot of black and white checkered walls, floors, it's everywhere. 
Uh, as I said, the, the bigger the tiles, the the less comfortable I get. <laughs> <laughs> Your discomfort is is proportional to the size of the tile. Wow. So starting with the original lighthouse, so we're still in the original place. And it's, like I said, it's not very far. Petey, how far would you say? It's it's not even, you can look across, the, there's a park now in between. How far would you say that is? Not even half a mile, huh? Like it's it's right along the same coast. I'm not sure exactly where it was, but if it's where I'm thinking it is, I mean, it's definitely like a quarter of a mile or less. It's, it's not far. It's all the same owned property. And that place, as well as the new site, sightings and hauntings, Cover this area. So, are are there any um, like remains of the original watchtower? Has all that pretty much been removed once it, whoever deteriorated? I believe it was all removed, and anything that could be used was relocated to the new site. Okay. Yeah. So the lighthouse to the lighthouse park, which is where it was, right? Lighthouse park. Mm-hmm. It's about five six hundred feet. According to Google Maps. Oh, that's really close. Yeah, Yeah, no, it was very, very close. But it's because the original watchtower was made of limestone, which it's going to, you know, you got the rain, rain, the wind, um, proximity to the ocean. It's always wet. It's always humid. You know, there's nothing blocking it from from the damaging wind. So it's going to erode. And so they they decided to construct, move move it further inland and construct, you know, another lighthouse. Um, so, yeah, the layout of the property, you walk in, gift shop, past the gift shop, there's a little walkway, a little bit of woods, not very much. And yeah, it's actually you, really cool. To, you you kind of walk through kind of a path in the woods. Like it's still, it's concrete. But you feel kind of like you're in the woods, even though it's really not that deep. And they do have some small hiking trails that kind of go around it on the property. So that's kind of cool, too. And that's going to play in with some of the some of the hauntings that we talk about a little bit later. But then you walk up and you walk up to this massive lighthouse that you have to crane your neck to see that it's I had a very difficult time trying to get a photo, even putting my my phone on the ground and pointing it up, trying to get it all in one shot because it's so tall, it's 165 feet. Directly across from it is the lightkeeper's house. So every lighthouse is run by a lighthouse keeper. Now most of them are automated, but um, there is still, I believe, the job in some lighthouses, like there's somebody who's officially a lighthouse keeper. They just don't have to do the things that they obviously used to do before. Um, So the lightkeeper's house is directly across from it. It's a three-story Building, we're going to have some some discussion about that place. Three story, um, yeah, basement, ground. Oh yeah, that's true. I forgot about the basement. Floor. A basement in Florida, kinda. It's it's kind of half in the ground, I think. But yeah, or is the or is the ground built up at the base of it? That way, it's like you're not at the sea level, really. Kind of. Well, no, I I think originally it was it was um, used for collecting water. So it would make sense that it was yeah. under the water table. There were cisterns there. We're going to talk about those on the next episode too. Down the way from that, um, there are a couple of little buildings. There's one building that's got like research in it. They're doing like a, like cleaning up artifacts that they find and stuff like that. There's a building that was used as um, a garage for the Jeeps in World War II. Right, right. forgot about that. Past the lightkeeper's house, there are several other structures on the property, um, as well as a large tree that is supposedly a site for hauntings. It's a big old, what is that, an oak tree, baby? One of those, it's got those uh, big quote me, but I think an arms that grow out, you know, like at the zoo, you know, like at the Audubon Zoo, how they have those big old trees that you can climb on. Yeah, like the live oak. Yeah, I think it's a big old live oak, but it's supposedly a supposedly the the spirits like to gather around that. Yeah, it's a popular place for people to go for ghostly encounters. Yes, yes. It's one of the favorite sites, apparently. Um, So this place is interesting enough on its own, really, like if you want to just go for the daytime tour. But the real bread and butter of this place is the hauntings. So that's what we're going to talk about now. Yeah, shout out um, to the awesome uh, people that work there. Oh, man. 
the the tour guides are so cool and really really well versed and knowledgeable and really into everything and they really want to make sure that everybody has a good time so it was pretty cool yeah well like i feel like you wouldn't get a job at a place like that unless you were at least interested in some type of history or you know cool things i don't know you'd be surprised so one of the people that we talked to sammy actually got the job because she just needed a job and i think her friend worked there or just left the job there knew there was an opening and referred was that how it went yeah 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 she said she just needed a full-time job and uh her friend was like this is pretty sweet and (laughs) she took the job walmart and she's been there for seven years so but all right let's talk about these ghostesses Talk about these hauntings. All right. Well, St. Augustine in general, that's the, I mean, it's the oldest location, one of the oldest cities in America. It, it's the oldest continuously populated city in the United States, I think is what they said. Yeah, 1565 by the Spanish. Oh, wow. Yeah, they got, they got Spanish forts out there. Yeah, yeah, a lot of Spanish influence. And remember Spanish Watchtower, the old Spanish Watchtower. That's what it was called. Spanish was everywhere back then. España all over the place. Actually, our first ghost story, it's a great segue. Our first ghost story is about a lady of Hispanic origin. So her name is Maria de los Dolores Menstre Andrew. She was the wife of Joseph and, uh, Andrew. He was the lighthouse keeper from 1854 to 1859. So you would think that we would be talking about him because he actually fell to his death while he was painting the lighthouse just before Christmas in 1859. Now we talked about how the wind and the rain was eroding this limestone original lighthouse. So paint jobs were necessary all the time. Yeah, I think they had to paint it like what was it every month or every year? year. A couple of times a year at least they needed to repaint it just to seal it, just to keep the exterior from eroding. Um, So he was out there just before Christmas painting at the top of the, like on the observation deck and something happened and he fell. No, no, no. I think he was on scaffolding. Was he on scaffolding? Yeah, I think that's what happened. I think the scaffolding wasn't (gasps) secure or something. You're right. The scaffolding collapsed on him. He was on the scaffolding and it, it, collapsed. I don't remember the exact description, but there was a very detailed of how he like plinko down, like how he hit different surfaces. Oh, That's God. insensitive. I shouldn't say that. Plinko down. <laughs> Jesus. Well, That's I mean, if I it happened, it happened. Because he was hitting different surfaces and they're describing this to us and we're just like, Jesus, this is detailed. And the thought is that it's because his wife witnessed it. Like and it was in the paper at the time, like exactly what he did, where he hit, how he fell. But he ended up on the ground and was killed immediately. Like he, he just died. So that leaves this place without a lighthouse keeper. And okay, um, he was engaged in whitewashing the tower of the lighthouse when the scaffold gave way and he fell 60 feet, dying almost instantly. The St. Augustine Examiner reported on December 10th, 1859. There you go. Well, they said that he hit, like, remember, they were telling us the story. They said, like, he hit this part and then he bounced off of this part. Well, well, yeah, 60 feet of scaffolding. There's going to be a lot of support braces and cross braces. There's plenty of stuff for him to plank go down. Oh, yeah. That's like falling on a jungle gym. Yeah. 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 So plenty of opportunity very, there for Plinko. Right. Oh, I hate that I said Plinko. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> so Bob Barker would be proud. Oh no. <laughs> but Christ oh, is God. right. Um, so she doesn't know what to do at this point. You know, like there's no lighthouse keeper. And the story goes that she was at the top of the lighthouse on the observation deck and just kind of saying, what shall I do? What am I going to do? And she heard her husband's voice say, tend the light. Hence the name of this episode. Yes. And so she decided to do just that. So she became the first female lighthouse keeper in Florida of Hispanic American descent. Also, the position of lighthouse keeper is part of the U.S. Coast Guard. So she was consequently the first Hispanic woman ever 
to serve in the U.S. Coast Guard and the first to command a federal shore installation because that is what keeping a lighthouse is. So she kept that lighthouse running 24 and 7, never let the light dim. Uh, The only thing that stopped her was the Civil War took place. And because of the strategic position of that lighthouse, she had a lot of pressure from the military. Yeah, the Confederates ordered the lighthouse to be darkened and they took out the Fresnel lens. Yeah, so they took that lens out and it was hidden. And um, the original was actually replaced and reignited when the Civil War ended in 1865. Well, actually, according to what I read, they didn't actually light it up. Until 1867, two years later. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, I didn't know that. Maybe they couldn't find the lens. Well, uh, they had they had a hard <laughs> time getting the person who went and hit it to give it up. Oh, really? Um, there's a whole yeah, there's a whole story about him. I just didn't think we were going to have time to do it. I think they had to torture him to get it out. Oh my god! <laughs> they got the original Fresnel lens back. Um, I don't think that it's the one today. That's that's not. But the original, oh no, this was still in the old lighthouse. Right, right. This was still in the old lighthouse. So, 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 is it possible that somewhere on the grounds is a buried original lens? Wouldn't that be that's never been found? Crazy cool. That would be interesting. Oh man, that would be neat. We should go on a treasure hunt. This would dig up the entire grounds. <laughs> I just could you could you find it? I mean, if it's glass. Isn't glass, I mean, it would just degrade back into the sand eventually. <laughs> Maybe, I don't know. I don't know. Not without water erosion on it, I don't think. I think it's just, yeah, it's still sure. hanging out. And those things are huge. I'm going to put some pictures on the site. Like there's a, there was one in uh, one of those outbuildings on display, big old Fresnel lens, and they're really big. So, you know, that's only 200 years ago. That's, that would take a while to degrade. So she was pretty badass, you know, she made history and there's nothing mysterious or anything. She didn't die in the lighthouse or anything like that, but she is one of the haunts that populate this, this area. She is the lady in white, they call her. When they see her, she is in a white dress, a long flowy white like night dress She's been seen as a full apparition. One of the other managers actually had a picture on her phone and you can see a full-bodied apparition, like hazy. And she believes this is Maria, but they said she's extremely active. She's actually had interactions with guests. They told us about a guest who was on one of those walking paths and got lost and was redirected um, to the lighthouse by a lady in a long white dress that she thought was an actor, never had reenactors. And basically they said that she was say, talking a lot about the old lighthouse, but didn't know much about the new lighthouse. <laughs> um, but yeah, she's, um, she's apparently there very often when they hear whispering, they'll hear a lady's voice and they, they attribute that to Maria. Well, that's cool because that, that kind of ties back to something I think I think I've talked about previously to where like, you know, having spiritual connections to locations. So like she didn't die at the lighthouse, but it was so meaningful to her in her life that that's pretty much where her spirit resides at now. Yeah. Yeah, And Brandy, correct me if I'm wrong, but I remember them telling us that they would get phone calls to the police after hours saying that they left people in the lighthouse because they would see somebody up there. Right. And they would show up and they're like, no, we did the checks. And then they would go through and there's nobody there. Yeah. Immediately around the wooded areas with the little walking paths, it's all residential. Yeah. Like right behind the woods, there's houses. Yeah. So the neighbors, and I mean, it's a 165 foot friggin' lighthouse. They can see it. You know, they're, they're right there. And they said they get calls fairly often. Oh, dark of the moon left somebody up there again, you know, and they have to go and check it, even though they know that they, because they do a, a sweep before they leave every single room, every single building on the property. Yeah, and we saw them doing it when we were talking to them. And it's, it's, it's a pretty legit sweep of the buildings. And like, I feel, feel like there's not a lot of hiding spots in... 
the tower. Well, in the tower, for sure, there's not. But like even in the buildings, like they go in the buildings and they turn on all the lights and they just walk through. So, yeah, that's Maria. Maria, that's our oldest haunt. She kept it up until the end or the beginning of the Civil War when they made her shut it down. And then years later, they relit it in 1867. And then in 1872, they began construction to replace the lighthouse because it was degrading so much. Yeah, the lighthouse continued to degrade. And that is where our next story comes in. With this construction, you need what? A contractor. You need construction crews. So the person that was hired was a gentleman from New England uh, by the name of Hezekiah Pity. That's a hell of a name. It is. He came with his family. He had a wife, Mary, and he had four children. The oldest was Mary Adelaide. She was 15. Then 13-year-old Eliza. A little boy named Edward. We're not real sure of his age. And then Carrie, the baby. She was four. So dad is a construction guy. He's heading this all up. And what is what is a construction site if not a playground, right? Exactly. You know, super safe. But the girls and particularly the girls love to play on the construction site. And one of the things that they were doing was transporting building materials. So the way they did this was they had a little kind of railway that they constructed and they would use railway carts, kind of like um, Indiana Jones, the runaway railroad cart. You know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. Yeah, like that. So they would load those carts up and push them back and forth um, with the supplies. Well, the girls figured out that this sucker, if you get a running start, it's a pretty good late 1800s roller coaster. Yeah, it sounds fun. I I would have been riding in it as well. They would sneak onto the construction site. And when there was an available railway cart, they would have roller coaster fun. They made friends with a 10-year-old little girl named Ellie. She was, um, there's not a lot known about her, but she was um, an African-American little girl and they would play with her. So it's assumed that maybe her family, her dad, somebody uh, was one of the workers on site. But she plays into the story. So they would all get together and play all the time. And the parents would fuss them, don't do it. And they would be like, you know, oh, we're yeah, still going to do it. <laughs> so as you do, basically, they would jump in the cart. The weight of all of them would make the cart go fast, 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 fast. And it would go to the end of the track, which was right above the bay. And there was a piece of wood that would stop the cart. So when it would hit the end, they would just walk it back up to the beginning of the tracks again and do it over and over again and have a great time. And I think it had like brakes on there, like hand brakes. So it would be able to slow it down enough to like stop and hit hit the wood safely. Oh, hell no. No, no, no. You know, they were launching their ass out the end of the damn thing, out the end of the wagon into the water. Well, well. We're getting to that. Well, I mean, we did it going, growing up. Remember when all they had, all the houses in the neighborhood were getting built and we'd pedal our asses off down the sidewalk and hit the pile of sand and fly over the sand. <laughs> oh my God. I forgot about that. <laughs> well, yeah, it, this is where it gets a little sad. So on July 10th, 1873, they all were uh, playing on the their, their roller coaster. The 10 year old little girl, Ellie, was also in the cart with them. If I remember right, the brakes were out. So I guess they hit the wood at full speed and broke through or the wood was missing and they actually did plummet over the edge and all but one of them drowned or they died. I don't know. Was it, did they drown? Yeah. The metal, the big metal railway cart flipped over onto them, trapping them under the water. Oh, so it was, it was the 15 year old Mary Eliza, the 13 year old, the little girl, Carrie, the four-year-old, and their 10-year-old little friend, all in the cart. Um, there was a worker by the name of Dan Sessions that was on the site, and he saw it all happen, and he took off running and dove in. Um, by the time he was able to pull the cart off of the girls, the only one who had not drowned was Carrie, the four-year-old. So three of the little girls drowned. And Carrie survived. 
So kids, when your parents tell you don't play with something, listen to them. Yeah. Also, adults don't bring children to a construction site. Well, they didn't though. Like they told them, we don't want you playing on the site, and they would they would just show up and be kids. They're just being kids, you know. So it's it's sad and it sucks. Probably the most active haunt there is the girls. Yeah, there are um, people refer to them as the pity girls. The pity girls. Yeah. So guests, employees report lots of activities of uh, activities attributed to these little girls. There's giggling and laughing. There's singing and whistling. And um, spoiler alert, can confirm the giggling, but we'll uh, get to that later. Nope. No, we won't. We'll get to that next episode. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Next next episode. Later, next week. Yes. They hear them running. They're most recently, they've been getting these footprints and we actually saw pictures of them and they actually posted them on their um, Dark of the Moon Facebook page. If you want to go take a look at that. Yeah, they're real Um, weird. They look wet, but they're dry to the touch. Yeah, you can't wipe them away. They disappear and reappear on their own. And it's only ever one foot at a time. So it'll be like five or six of the left foot. That's weird. Or five or six. Of I, mean, the, I know, five or six of the right. And it's like little small bare feet. They love to tie and untie shoelaces. Um, one of the stories that they told us uh, during the tour was uh, a girl and her coworker were sitting next to each other. And um, it was her male coworker. And they were sitting at the base of the steps together with their feet kind of on the ground next to the stair railing. And they talked for a little while. They were on their break. And when he went to stand up, he face planted immediately. His shoelace had been tied to the banister. (laughs) Yeah. So they love to pick and play. Um, They love to play hide and seek, apparently. Um, with EMF detectors is their favorite way to communicate. So, you know, that's, we talked a little bit about the EMF detectors in a previous episode where it's got that little meter thing where it goes from red to, from green to red. Yeah. And you ask them yes or no, do you want to play hide and seek? And they'll indicate. Yeah. They'll send like a spike where it goes all the way up and then all the way back down. And if you look for them, when you find them, it'll spike. And Sam and Colby from YouTube did a feature on the St. Augustine Lighthouse. And actually, the two managers that we talked to were in that episode. So, yeah, they were they were there only like four or five months before us. Yeah, they weren't there that long ago. And they and anyway, these two played hide and seek with the pity girls and had that. And they were freaking out because they were because it was exactly like they said it was going to be. They would say, you want to play? And they would spike and then they would look are you here are you here and then they finally would find them and they want to play again and yeah it was pretty pretty crazy and one other thing is that the girls apparently are fascinated by things like hair color and tattoos on women yeah they feel like touching on their tattoos yeah the manager abby that we talked to has a lot of tattoos on her leg and so she said she just pictures a little girl from that time period being like, what is this on this woman? Yeah, that's what you I was know? thinking. They never saw that in their day. Yeah. Would men have really had tattoos back then? I wonder what the first tattoo was. Yeah. Not not like they would he- yeah. nowadays. Yeah, not like modern tattoos, but definitely. Oh, especially like, didn't like people in the military or Navy often get tattoos? That's as well? what I was thinking. Yeah. The- or like prison tattoos. Yeah, like... Definitely, they didn't have like, you know, really good yeah, looking okay, tattoos necessarily. Yeah. Well, it depends on your, well, I mean, a lot of indigenous people, I believe, you know, did body art and tattoos and stuff too. Yeah, um, that's true. Like the Maori, they do it with the uh, the big long stick needle things. Yeah. I actually really wanted to do that when we were in Thailand. But yeah, they never would have saw those tattoos back in their day. That's all I mean. No, or or um, they touch women's hair that has different hair colors. Yeah, like somebody that might have blue hair. Yeah, yeah. There's a story in our uh, in our next episode in the investigation episode that you're going to hear from one of the tour guides that she had an experience with what she believes is one of the pity girls with some hair color, um, some blue hair. So that we're going to leave that for that. So the next haunt is Major 
Brevet Major William Harn. Um, he was a lighthouse keeper from 1875 to 1889. He was a Brevet Major in the Civil War, um, decorated, fought in Gettysburg, um, very distinguished war, war career, and decided to become a light keeper following um, the ending of the Civil War, about 10 years after the Civil War ended. Um, he was the first occupant of the Keeper's House, um, which is the building that I'd said is across from the lighthouse. Um, his room was on the top floor and he had his family in there. The exhibit that they have now is all about life with the Harns. It's not original to the house, but it's from the time period so when you go on just the regular tour, the history tour, you can see a lot of like the, the things that they would use during that time period, how they would decorate the furniture. Very, very cool, like a little snippet in time, like a little picture in time of what it was like back then. So he spent 14 years as the lighthouse keeper until he contracted tuberculosis. Oh, so he's uh, a vampire. It, hello. <laughs> Hello, it's all cyclical. It all ties back to the episodes we've done, people. If you listen, you'll know everything. Before we even talk about it, you'll know all the facts. Yep. So in um, 1889, he died from tuberculosis after suffering from it for a while. Um, his duties were immediately taken over by his wife, Kate, for six months because somebody got to maintain that lighthouse, y'all. And um, until she was relieved of her duty by the next keeper that was that was brought in. Oh, so, you said duty. Duty. So, so, so basically behind every lighthouse is a strong woman keeping it going. Well, yeah. A boss babe behind every lighthouse keeper is his boss babe of a wife. Yeah, because, you know, all them all them families had like five, six, 12 kids, you know. Yeah. So. These women were taking care of that many kids around these lighthouses. And probably still carrying oil up. <laughs> Just throwing this out there because I was curious what brevet, uh, a brevet major was. Thank you. I was curious too. So it's not a real rank. It, it's something that they used to actually do back in the day. I got, I don't, I've never heard of it. I guess, well, I guess they now would call it a field promotion. Um, so a brevet major just meant that he was temporarily promoted to the next higher rank for a certain amount of time or for certain duties. Like assistant to the regional manager? Kind of, <laughs> but like, so in hindsight, <laughs> in hindsight, I guess you could say he was technically a captain that for some reason, I don't know if maybe it was his duties at the lighthouse got him temporarily promoted while he was there. But the... um Technically, he would have been a captain promoted to major temporarily. Well, that is hilarious that you say that because here's the legend and lore with Major William Harn. He gets real pissed when you don't call him Major Harn. Yeah, I kept calling him Minor Horn. No, they like that's the whole thing. That is his whole deal is when you don't call him William Major William Harn or Major Harn, when you don't use his rank, it pisses him off. Okay, so when did he take over the lighthouse? 1875. 1875. So Captain yes. Horn was dismissed from service on April 5th of seven, 1864. So he was dismissed from service. So that would have been... And we're sure this is the same guy. And that's 11 years before. Yeah, I mean, if he served at Gettysburg, because this says he served at Gettysburg. Yeah. He did. He did. And also, he was five foot five. So I feel like he had maybe like a little bit of a complex to begin with. So you will call me major. You know, that tracks. You think he lied on his resume and like he never was private major? He's just like, nah. Yeah, they promoted me to major. They called me major. They just never yeah. paid me as a major. I mean, I don't know. But so, yeah. So the thing with him is Scandal. that you, you can hear him coughing and gasping throughout the house. Remember I said his room was on the top floor. They said you can like, like 
in terms of like spatial relations, it doesn't ever sound like somebody coughing next to you. You can hear the coughing coming from where his room was. Because mm. of the tuberculosis. Mm. He had the TB. Yeah, we never caught any uh, coughing or anything he like didn't that. didn't hear any coughing. He didn't want to uh, be nice because I kept calling him minor. He, Peter, he wanted did, to go in. Did you cough when you were there? No. Oh. I think I sneezed. <laughs> you probably did. But yeah, you must call him major. Don't instigate the major. Apparently, he's super active in the basement, and you can hear his coughing coming from the top floor. Hmm. I mean, but a cough could kind of easily be dismissed as, I mean, y'all could have caught coughs and not even realized it. Well, you're saying like it could have just been like another guest well, there. I'm say, well, that or just, I mean, I, I think a cough kind of blends into a background noise, like if somebody scuffles their feet or... Yeah, true. I guess... Like during the ghost yeah. tour, if we would have caught a cough, we might have just thought it was a regular yeah, person. I could see you'd have to be sitting super still and probably by yourself to I even. And that's kind of why it's it's so impressive to talk to the people that work there because they're in there by themselves after hours. You know, they have to go look for people. So if they hear something, they're they're looking for somebody that they think somebody might be in there. You know, so mm. I don't know. I feel like that would mess with me if I was looking for somebody and you you can't find somebody that you heard cough. Yeah, true, true. The last most famous one. Um, we're getting into the 1900s now. Um, this so one's this, the best. This uh, is Peter. He, he's I, got I the love best this name. guy's whole vibe. Peter Rasmussen. Not just because of his name. No, he's got. I like his. Well, I. Okay. Well, we'll see. I like his attitude, but he's he's bit of a bit of a creep. So uh, Peter Rasmussen. He was the lighthouse keeper from 1901 to 1924. Peter is creep. Creepy Peter. But he was the longest to hold the position, which was 23 years as lighthouse keeper. And he absolutely loved it. But the thing he hated to do, which what is he was required to do, was give tours to visitors. And he just, he wanted to do his job. He wanted to take care of his little lighthouse run his little thing and he would have been keeper during uh the sinking of the titanic he it's sinking of the titanic and the first world war yeah yep. depression yep yep um he just wanted to run this lighthouse and he was required to give tours to visitors and i think in the first three months he recorded like thousands of visitors showing up and he was just like i hate this so much. I, mean, I would so, hate it too, honestly. Yeah. 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 So, because I don't think they quite had electricity just yet at this point, like maybe yep. like a little ways into his, uh, his term there. But imagine you got to still bring the oil up and you got people that just want to get in your way and walk up and down, look around. And thousands of them over a period you know, of like, months. That's got to get so irritating. So do we know why they started accepting visitors? Was it just to make money to maintain the facilities? Like just why suddenly like, hey, let's give tours. No, on their website, they have like the, the history on here that says during the late 19th century and into the 20th century, St. Augustine grew as a tourist destination and the lighthouse became increasingly popular among the city's visitors. In a 1913 report, Rasmussen reported a total visitation of 8,500 people in 1912, with 5,500 visitors already in the first three months of 1913. He noted there has been a steady increase from 1,500 in 1901 when he took over as headkeeper. I feel like that's a yeah. lot of people back then. That is a lot of people. I mean, I'd get freaking annoyed with that too. Every, you know, every day you got 30 people showing up. Hey, I'd love I want to walk to the top of the house. Like he said, he still has a job to do. And yeah. now he's like he tending to visitors. And, right. And then they would also walk through the house because the house was part of the tour and his wife was living there. And so they're walking through his home. Sitting on his so, chairs. Yeah. So he would get, you know, he would do what he had to do. He hated it, but he did it. So, um, and his wife apparently was real hard on him she had all these people traipsing through her house, but I guess the one thing she could control was she didn't allow him to smoke his pipe in the house. He could smoke it outside or he could smoke it in the basement, but he couldn't smoke it in her uh, main floor of her house or the floor above it. Um, 
No, so you that, had it right. Her house. Her house. <laughs> Look, that's his lighthouse. That's her house. So um, he is uh, reputed to haunt the site. And there are these two chairs that are in the basement that he loves. And they're not anything special. They're not anything crazy. I don't like, think they're even old chairs. Yeah. When they, when they first talked about them, I'm picturing like this high back job, you know, with velvet and like claw feet and, you know, of the time. No, they're literally like these little janky little chairs, but for whatever reason, since they put them in there, he likes them. You can smell his pipe tobacco near these chairs because that's the area where he would go and smoke down in the basement. His claim to fame is a couple of things. The pipe tobacco, loving the chairs. And he loves the ladies. He loves the ladies. He's a bit of a creep. Um, he's been reported to touch and squeeze ladies on the shoulders. Maybe it's him feeling on the uh, tattoos. And touch the legs. Oh, God, I hope not. <laughs> yeah, it's actually not the, the children at all. Pervert. Uh, it was so much more innocent when I was the kid. <laughs> we're gonna, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose to believe it's the girls being fascinated by art on women's bodies. That's what I'm going to choose to believe. So for men, his reaction is a little bit different. Um, yeah, he doesn't that, touch the men's legs. He does not feel their legs. He does not rub their shoulders. He does, however, hate when a man wears a hat. With men, he's a little bit different. Um, in his day and age, wearing hats indoors was considered extremely bad manners. I should have brought a hat. A man wearing a baseball cap or a hat inside the house or even a hoodie, like with their hoodie up, the hats will get knocked off. The hoodies will get pulled back really quickly and abruptly. Um, it's been done numerous times, multiple times over the years, been witnessed and unwitnessed. They told us a couple of cool things about the chairs. So there was an employee that was there and on his last night there, he decided he was going to confront Peter and try to try to shake him up, try to, you know, get a reaction out of him. So he sat in the chair and he just started insulting Peter, cursing at him, saying all kinds of things to him, just to try to egg him on. He was shoved out of the chair, like shoved out of the chair onto the floor. Nice. Witnessed and has not been back since, not even to visit. Like... <laughs> Yeah, screw this place. He was like, uh, no, done. The other story was another guy. He was a guest and he was, they said he was huge. He was like six foot four, big swole buff guy. And he thought it would be cute to sit in the chair and egg Peter on about his stupid little chairs. And he said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to grab these chairs, both of them. I'm going to take them. I'm going to put them in the back of my pickup truck. I'm not going to tie them down. I'm going to go on to the interstate. I'm going to let them fly out and smash to pieces. <laughs> and no sooner had he said it that this thing shook the shit out of this chair. Like the chair just started violently shaking. They said the guy turned white and he hauled A out of there and would not come back in. Nice. Yeah, I don't blame him. I sat in the chair the first time we went there. They brought us in the basement when we went the first time. And they were telling us the story about uh, men sitting in the chair. And nothing really happened to me. I, I remember feeling like I had ants crawling on my leg, but I didn't. But that's that's the only thing that I really had go on. Nobody pushed me out of the chair. But I'm also a nice guy. so Like, like imagine having this career as a... A, a lighthouse keeper and like the one part of it you hate is all the tourists. And then after you die and you stuck on this earth again, you're tending tourists again, like for the entirety of afterlife, like how miserable or turn it around. Maybe he chose to do that because he's getting revenge on all the tourists. Now he's like messing with them. Maybe. Well, they said he really loved it. So I'd like to think that if he is there it's because he loved that lighthouse. I mean, he did 23 years. That's a very heavy job to do for 23 years. Yeah, I imagine that job takes it out of you, going up and down those stairs that many times a day. I would think. But his calf muscles were freaking huge, though. Like a rock. 
like UPS delivery driver calves. <laughs> Another interesting thing about this property, the lightkeeper's house, the original structure actually burned down in 1970. And the only thing that remained original to the house was the basement. So there was some talk about just kind of letting it lie. But the junior service league in the area uh, was able to maintain donations a solid, like steady income of people in the community that wanted this place restored. And it took 15 years, but they were able to restore the upper levels of the Lightkeeper's house. The basement is the only original area. I mean, they've, they've got displays and stuff in there, but it's very low ceiling, cramped and creepy. Yeah, where, where the cisterns were, um, it's kind of just like picture like a brick wall with like a small window and you can look inside where the cisterns were and they have like these, um, was it like model ships or something hanging in there? Yeah. But it's like super dark and they have kind of a eerie light shining on them. They almost look like ghost ships. Yeah. It For me, the vibe that I get, it's, um, it's what I would picture that the LaLaurie mansion where she kept those slaves, I picture them being in something like these things. Yeah. It's bricked in and dank and wet and just creepy. There's definitely a vibe about the basement, but yeah, this place is super cool. Um, that's our haunts. That's, that's our history and our haunts. And that's what it's going to consist of um, when we do our investigation episode that's the things that are going to be referred to. But yeah, now that we've talked to you guys about the history, um, you'll kind of know who we're referring to in the investigation portion of the program. Do we want to give any like hints as, as to what happened? No, no spoilers. Nope. We hunt for ghostesses and we may or may not have found some ghostesses. <laughs> ghostesses, and we're going to talk about them next week. Yes. Do, you, do you want to play like one little short clip as like a teaser? We could, we could do Guys, that. Guys, what do y'all think? Should we do that? I was thinking the... I mean, don't make it like a movie trailer where all the best parts are played. Exactly. <laughs> I want to say... I want to keep our cards close to our vests. Vests. People like to be surprised. Yeah, let it build up. Yeah, save the good stuff. It's ghosts. Okay. All right. Do you guys have any questions about the hauntings or the lighthouse? Or is there anything that y'all are looking forward to next episode? No, I, I actually know next episode should be awesome. Um, I was just curious, generally speaking, I don't know if you covered it. Do we know when the lighthouse switched to electricity on the light? Because I'm assuming it's not still oil burning. No, no, no. It's electric now. Do we know I'm not year? sure when that happened. On July 23rd, 1925, electric lights were installed and lit in the keeper's house. Despite the advantages and increasing availability of electric lighting, it would be over 10 years before electricity replaced the oil lantern at the top of the tower. So about 1935. So Peter Rasmussen was carrying the oil up all day, every day, and still having to do tours for thousands of people. Yeah, like 100 people a day watching him carry this oil. What you doing? Jesus. Why are you carrying the oil yeah. up? <laughs> How much does that weigh? Uh, 20 pounds a piece. Can like, I sit in your chair? <laughs> <laughs> what they should have done was like, get the real lighthouse experience. Carry a thing of oil up with, on your trip. Yeah. Free with your ticket. He was probably so disgusted, y'all. I can't say I blame him. 5,500 people in three months. Like, that's crazy. Like, how's the man supposed to do his job? St. Augustine overall is a pretty cool little place. I mean, we've, like I said, I've never been to a lighthouse, but we've been to St. Augustine itself. It's beautiful. It is. And uh, the, like we went to the downtown area. You can see a lot of the old Spanish stuff there. and. Uh, yeah, we went walk to the fort that time. Yeah, mm. yeah, oh yeah, that's where. I, fort yeah, the fort. Cool. Yeah, the fort's cool. A lot of history out there, like you said, Jonathan. It's it's the oldest continuously inhabited city. I think you guys are really gonna like the next episode because that's where we can get into the audio and stuff. And my sister just being, I mean, scared shitless. Yeah. So I'm really excited for you guys to hear all the stuff that we heard because the guys are going to hear it in real time, just like you guys are and react to it. That's what we're going to do on the next episode is they're going to they're going to hear the audio and we're going to discuss it and they're going to kind of try to you know experience it the way we experienced it as if they were there. So it's going to be cool. Yeah, just a little bit about what we actually did. Um, 
we didn't have like actual ghost hunting equipment, but I had this app on my phone, which, you know, give or take, if you believe it's real or not, you know, but this app's supposed to take sounds from like online radio stations and things like that and basically make a sound bank that the ghost can somehow pull sounds from and like make phrases or words come out and talk to you. So that's kind of how it works. Kind of kind of like a, a spirit box, but in an app. So you're saying so it's not constantly scanning, it's got a, a word bank. Yeah, so I think the way it works is when you're on on like a Wi-Fi or something, it's constantly like grabbing uh, sounds and saving it in a sound bank, but it's constantly replacing things. Gotcha. But tell them what you said about the the person who researched it. Yeah, I was I was trying to find out if it was like legit or if there was anybody that knew it was fake or that kind of thing. And there was a guy who does, I think he, he was a computer programmer and he said he broke down the app and looked into the code of it and he said, nowhere in there is it generating words. So it's not faking anything. It at best or at, at worst, it's just coincidence type stuff. Yeah. You know, like you might get clips from the radio that sound like little words, but it's such short clips. You shouldn't really hear phrases. Yeah, it's not manufacturing phrases. Yeah. So, so basically, in theory, is it that like the ghost, your spirit is able to, I guess, use its energy to string together bits from the sources that the app's pulling from? Right. And in the same way yeah, that, they can, that they can pull whatever energy they need to turn on or off a light. I think it yeah. I think the way it, it works is it uses something in the iPhone that uh I guess can read magnetic fields or something. I'm not exactly sure, but there's some kind of sensor in the iPhone that it uses for like changes in the environment. From but, what he found, there's no reason it shouldn't work. Yeah. It's not like one of those things that we're not saying that it's yes, it's you know, but it's it's debunked in in the way that okay this is generating words and it doesn't like show you sentences it's something that you hear yeah. you know so take with it take take it with you know take it with a grain of salt but it is interesting that you can use the app like for example in the car we were driving and we got hardly any sounds but then you go to a certain location on a haunted place like the lighthouse and suddenly it's it's words and phrases every few seconds, you know? Or you go to another place on that haunted site and you don't get anything. And nothing. And so it, it wasn't like consistent anything. It was just, it was, it was interesting. We'll use the word interesting. Yeah. It was food for thought. Hmm. But yeah, overall it was definitely a cool experience. Totally. Yeah. 10 out of 10 would recommend 10 out of 10 would do again. Cool. And now we know that there's an app for everything, just like an app for <laughs> our social medias. We have Twitter. Yeah, we have Twitter. We have TikTok. We have Facebook. We actually have a Facebook group now for fans. Yeah, uh, I've, with, I've seen people that, on I guess, it. I think, I think from the poll, it looks like the most popular name for our fans is Strangers. Welcome, so I think Strangers. That's gonna be, yeah, thank you. Uh, welcome, Strangers. It's going to be what we call you. And it's pretty true because we don't know a lot of you. Which is pretty know, freaking cool. I know Brandy's mom. Yeah. yeah. As we talked about, you've pooped in her house before. Yeah. She's not a stranger. He also saved us from fireworks. I just I want saved to her house from now. burning down one time. He really, really and did. We were shooting off fireworks. I don't remember if it was 4th of July or New Year's, but we were at my parents' house and shooting off fireworks. And we had, it was a Roman candle, I believe, in a container and whoever lit it, lit the, lit the thing and walked away. It's and probably me. It I don't know. About to burn, <laughs> it might've been my brother. I don't know. But as it was about to start shooting, the container fell over facing towards us. And without this bitch did not hesitate without hesitating. I, he, I hear him go, Oh shit. And he takes off running with his hair in a ponytail, I remember this. Oh, my hair was long. And his pony, your, your ponytail was bouncing. And he <laughs> ran serpentine style and grabbed that Roman candle just before it shot at the house and pointed it away from us. 
I like the picture that he jumped, dove on top and then rolled with it. But I don't know if that actually happened. He didn't. He didn't. He grabbed (laughs) it and pointed it away. And no sooner had he pointed it up, the first one went out. And we were like- I risked my life for your family. Jeremy Smith just saved our freaking lives. It was awesome. I mean, that is kind of an awesome story. No, like I'm telling you, it was like something, it was like a hero novel. Like he literally did not hesitate, no thought for himself at all, took off running and grabbed it. And it was was pointed direct because we were just like, oh, we're all going to die. And he was like, not today, motherfucker. When the scrawny dude jumped (laughs) in. It was. (laughs) (laughs) Not today, Satan. Not today. So, yeah, that that was epic and awesome. So, yes, he most certainly knows my mother. But anyway, I hope you all enjoy. Stay tuned for next week's episode where we have the investigation. Yeah, I look forward to it. Stay strange. Later, strangers. (laughs) Later, strangers. Bye. Bye. Ain't nothing sweeter than the listeners of Jonathan, Jeremy, and Peter.